the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Be very careful about people who have negative things to say about spiritual leaders, about elders, about deacons, about staff personnel. Why? Because Satan is behind it. Satan is always behind it. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. And not only does he accuse all of us, but he especially um, he is especially uh, good at accusing God's leaders in the church. He tempts people in churches to think negative thoughts about their spiritual leaders. He is the source of much criticism directed at pastors and deacons. He wants you to think the worst of those who lead you. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is leading us in a series of studies from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Pastor Steve's 26-plus years of teaching at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, has now expanded into the world of radio and the Internet. We just heard Pastor Steve caution us about listening to accusations concerning pastors and other church leaders. You might think, well, of course he would say that. He's a pastor himself. But he's not saying that just because he is a pastor. He is saying it because it is true that Satan is the accuser and he loves to breed disharmony in churches. What better way to lead people astray than to make them suspicious of their shepherds? Our subject is the defense of integrity. The Apostle Paul faced some serious charges that, if true, would not only have destroyed his credibility, they would have altered and maybe even destroyed the early church. For the sake of the gospel, Paul had to face those challenges to his apostolic authority head-on and demonstrate that they were false charges. So if you have your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and let's begin our class. There are some people, Christians, who, uh, who are just pseudo-spiritual and, and, and they, they have all kinds of ways of, of hiding that they're really not that spiritual, but they come across with this facade. Paul was not like that. Paul was very vulnerable to admit that at times he was down, at times he was fearful. That's the way we ought to be because we are like that. I don't say we ought to be fearful, but, but that's the way we are. And we ought to let people know that I am struggling in those areas. Listen, if you're not like that, how could the body of Christ come alongside of you and minister to you? How could the body of Christ come and bear your burdens if we don't know what burdens you have? If everything is just fine, then we can't help you. So Paul was transparent, and we need to follow in his footsteps like that. He was transparent. And many, he said, of the Corinthians already knew this, but some were still not convinced. He tells us this in verse 14, just as you also partially did understand. I take it that he means partially here and that some in the church understood that uh, he was transparent, but not everyone. So it's just a partial recognition. He said that we are your reason to be proud as you are also ours in the day of our Lord Jesus. Paul is referring to the 
great truth that following the rapture of the church, Paul and the Corinthians, like all believers, like, like us, we will stand before Jesus Christ. This is called the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ, where he will turn out and give out our eternal rewards. Paul said, at that time, when I stand before Jesus, I will rejoice because you were my converts, if you will. You were my disciples. I had the privilege of leading you to Christ and, and nurturing you. And he said, and you will recognize then, all of you will recognize that I was your apostle, your true apostle, your true teacher. And we will rejoice together. We will boast in what God has done. We will delight in that. In that day, all, not partially, but all of the Corinthians will be rejoicing in the truth about Paul. They'll all know, because in that day, everything that is hidden will be revealed and disclosed, that Paul was a man of integrity, and he was their apostle, and he did teach them the truth. But for right now, some of them in Corinth were questioning his integrity. And so in the next few verses, Paul explains what caused them to feel this way and then he gives a direct response to their direct charge, and that direct response constitutes the second quality of life that demonstrated Paul's integrity. So Paul was a man of integrity, number one, because he was transparent in his behavior, especially his speech. Number two, a man of integrity is dedicated to God in his, and his truth, dedicated to the Lord and his truth. Let's look at verses 15 and 16. In this confidence, I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing. That is, to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you to be helped on my journey. Now, in these two verses, Paul states that his original plan was to visit Corinth twice, the city of Corinth, the church twice, once on his way to Macedonia, which was in northern Greece, Corinth in southern Greece. And then he said, I want to visit you the second time on my way out of Macedonia. I will come to you. Why? To twice give you a blessing. I want to, I want to minister to you personally two times. Now, uh, keep this in mind. These were Paul's, uh, this was Paul's original plan. But if you look back just one chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, you'll see that he actually changed it. Chapter 16, notice verses 5 through 7. I take it that this, uh, is, this is the second plan that Paul has. The first was to come to them twice. But now he says in verse 5, But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. Now notice, there's no two visits planned. Now he's changed it to one. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I wish. Paul seems to be un uncertain here. I might stay with you. If I do stay with you, I, I, I might even spend the winter with you. Verse 7, for I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits. Then you go back to Corinthians and you see that he had changed the plan. First, his original plan, visit you twice, probably just stopping off. Then in 1 Corinthians, he says, no, no, what I'm going to do, I want to spend some time with you, some not just uh, quality time, but quantity time, and I might even spend the winter with you. Now, that's those were Paul's plans. And uh, he says that uh, he wanted to do this, and then he changed to do this. Now, keep that in mind, because the false apostles are going to say the guy can't make up his mind. Yes, yes, one day, no, no, the next. But 
For right now, I want you to notice that after he said originally after his second visit to them, his plan was for them to help him on his journey to Judea. He says that in verse 16. Now, what does that mean? What does Judea have to do with this? Paul's ultimate goal and one of the reasons for going to Corinth was to uh, take a collection, a monetary collection for the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem. He'll deal with that in chapters 8 and 9. Paul had a burden on his heart that uh, to establish the fact throughout all the churches that there was one church. There was not a Jewish church and a Gentile church. And so what he did was he thought, you know what, these poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem who were terribly persecuted for their faith and put out of their homes, and that's why they had sort of a communal type of, of living. He said, wouldn't it be great if all of the other Gentile churches could take a love offering and give it to these Jewish believers? That would show them that, that we're not different. The Gentiles are not different than the Jews in Christ. We're all one. And so that was what Paul was doing. And so uh, he would come to, to Corinth and he was going to collect an offering. It should have been collected already and then he would he would take it. So after visiting Corinth, his plan was to take the money and travel with it to Judea, which would be what we would call today Israel. And the expression, and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea, referred to an ancient custom of a friend supplying uh, food and, and beverages for another friend and supplies, and then would even uh, supply protection of traveling companions, sort of an escort for quite a distance. That's what friends did. When they loved each other and you came to their city, they would give you food. They would give you beverage, they would give you whatever you needed, and they would even escort you or provide companions to do that. Now, the reason that I'm bringing this up is because it is important to understand that Paul, when he originally made these plans, there was mutual love, there was mutual affection, there was mutual friendship with the Corinthians so that he could ask for an escort. He understood that they would be more than willing to do this. They were not suspicious of him. He was their beloved uh, apostle and teacher. He was not alienated from them. In fact, that's why, if you notice, that he begins verse 15 by saying, in this confidence, in this confidence I intended to do this. What confidence? The confidence he just mentioned in verse 14, that we are your reason to be proud as you are ours also. In other words, when I originally made my plans to visit you at Corinth, I was confident that you trusted and acknowledged me as your apostle. That was my confidence. I, I, I thought you rejoiced in me. But something had changed their view of Paul. Someone or some group of people, the false apostles had come in and started filling the Corinthians' minds with doubting thoughts about Paul. They said he could not be trusted as a man of his word. And that's why he is defending himself here. That's, that's what's going on. And here's his specific defense, verse, thir verse 17. Here's what they were charging him, and here's what he brings up. The way he words this, by the way, in the original language, demands a negative answer. Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or what I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh so that with me there will be yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? These false apostles, as we've already seen, they believe that Paul's change of, of traveling plans indicated a flaw in his character. They said the guy can't make up his mind. He's staying with us for the winter. He's passing his way here. He's going twice. He, he doesn't know what he wants to do. Can't trust a man like this. 
Now, specifically, they accused him of two things. Number one, they said he was vacillating. Verse 17 says, vacillating. Was I vacillating? This word not only means to be fickle, sort of double-minded, though it does involve that, but actually the basic thought is lightness. Lightness. It's not translated that way, but it, it should be. That is to say that they accused him of making his plans lightly, not being serious about it. We would say, yeah, the guy is impulsive. Just you know, decides on the spur of the moment. That's what they were saying. Oh, we don't mean that much to you. You just, you know, you're here today, tomorrow you might be there. You, you haven't sat down and thought this plan through in a serious manner. They said, you're very light about it. No serious intention of doing what he promised. The second thing they accused him of was, he says, making plans according to the flesh. He said, what I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh? That's a serious charge. In other words, do I make plans without the leading of the Holy Spirit? Do I act like an unregenerate, unsaved man who only makes his plans based on selfish considerations? Do I make plans just for self-serving uh, purposes? See, behind the, the Corinthian accusation was not only the charge that Paul was dishonest, but what they really were saying is he doesn't care about us. He doesn't really care about us. He bases his plans on what suits his purposes. That's all Paul cares about is himself. He takes us very lightly. He doesn't really care. He just does whatever suits his purposes, what's best for him. He is a self-centered, unloving man. Now, I want to stop here for a moment and consider this and, and how we can apply these truths to our lives because this is really very, very important and very rich uh, portion of Scripture. First of all, let me suggest to you one of the truths that comes out of this by way of application is this. Be very careful about people who have negative things to say about spiritual leaders, about elders, about deacons, about staff personnel. Why? Because Satan is behind it. Satan is always behind it. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. And not only does he accuse all of us, but he especially um, he is especially uh, good at accusing God's leaders in the church. He tempts people in churches to think negative thoughts about their spiritual leaders. He is the source of much criticism directed at pastors and deacons. He wants you to think the worst of those who lead you. Why? Why would he do that? Well, several reasons. First of all, so that their ministry will be ineffective for you. You can't very well sit down in the congregation when you and, and listen to what a man in the pulpit has to say and really take it seriously if you have questions about his integrity or any other issue in his character. So a leader would have no effective ministry to you. You would not be growing like that. He wants that. That's what Satan wants. Secondly, he wants to destroy church unity. That's the quickest way to do it, to just attack a leader. And so you get sides and you get this undercurrent of, uh, of complaining. He also wants to discourage men in ministry so that the ministry will be a burden to them and not a joy. Listen, I have met with many, many pastors who the ministry is a burden to them because of their people. That is not the case here, by the way. But I'm, I'm telling you, we have, to, we have to work at keeping it like this. But I have met with many discouraged men in the ministry whose people are fighting him. He's not fighting the world, the flesh, and the devil alone. He's fighting them as well. 
And every Sunday for this man and his wife, it's a battle to come to church. Could you imagine that? But that's how it's been. No wonder so many pastors stay just a couple of years and move on. They can't take it anymore in the church. So be very careful about that. In fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, you ought to, as a congregation, esteem your leaders highly for the work that they do amongst you. You ought not to be fighting them. You ought to be esteeming them. Now you might say, well, what if there is something, a, a flaw in a man's character? Or what if someone comes to me and says, yeah, one of the elders, this is wrong about that. Well, let's look at that. First Timothy chapter 5. What if there is something wrong? And no one is certainly perfect. No one is uh, above being held accountable. What do you do when someone comes to you and complains about an elder, a deacon, a pastor, teacher? What, what do you do? 1 Timothy chapter 5. Paul specifically tells us, do not receive, chapter 5, verse 19. 1 Timothy 5, 19. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. If somebody comes to you with a negative comment about an elder, you need to stop them and say, you know what? Um, I, I'm not going to hear this. This is gossip. This is slander. This is satanic. Unless you have two or three witnesses who can attest that this is absolutely true, I'm not going to hear it. Well, what if they have two or three witnesses? Well, let's read on. Verse 20. Those who continue in sin, meaning elders, if they are guilty, and you have two or three witnesses that can confirm this, if they are guilty and, and, and they continue in their sin, they haven't repented, you are to rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest will also be fearful of sinning. Public ministry, if they fall and fail in, in a way that brings reproach upon Christ, they are to be rebuked publicly. The important thing is do not receive, at least for our purposes right now, do not receive an accusation against a leader. Do not form little clusters of groups that, that discuss negative things about elders and leaders in the church. That's just wrong. See, the Corinthians did that. And, and the Corinthians are an excellent il illustration of how Satan works and how he almost destroyed the whole church. These false uh, apostles, who later in chapter 11, Paul refers to them as servants of Satan. They, they gave these suggestions and filled the Corinthians' minds, and the Corinthians should have said, no. We're not going to believe this. We're going to, and you're telling us these things, and we'll go to Paul, and we'll ask him the truth. But they didn't do that. They didn't do that. They believed it, and uh, it brought great heartache to Paul, and it was a uh, horrible situation. They accused Paul of insincerity, dishonesty, walking according to the flesh, not caring for them. And the tragedy of all of this is that the Corinthians received it without knowing the truth. You know what the truth was? Why Paul didn't go there? We already have looked in verse 8. Weeks ago, we looked at the fact that he suffered greatly. He says in verse 8, For we don't want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us, came to us in Asia, meaning Asia Minor, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Paul said, One of the reasons that I didn't come to you, you didn't even know the facts. The facts were that I suffered so much in Asia Minor that it prevented me, it hindered me in some way from coming. But they didn't know that. They thought he didn't care. Paul said, no, you didn't understand. You didn't understand. I almost died. 
But also, verses 23 and 24, and we'll look at this next week. He said, but I call God as witness to my soul that to spare you, I did not come again to Corinth. Hey, it was to spare them from his displeasure, to spare them from from him being severe and disciplined with them. He said in verse 24, not that we lorded over your faith, but we're workers with you for your joy, for in your faith you are standing firm. Paul said, I, I wanted to give you time to repent. You'll see that as we look at it next week. I wanted to give you time to get your act together. That's why I didn't come. It wasn't because I didn't love you. It's because I do love you. But you see what happens when people receive accusations without knowing the facts? could be tragic. Tragic. Corinthians didn't know this, yet they were so quick to misjudge Paul. So quick. So by way of application, be very careful about receiving any negative accusations about elders in the church. If you hear something, go to the source, go to them and say, I heard this, is this true? Straighten it out. But if someone comes to you and they're telling you negative, you don't want to hear that. It is wrong if they come to you. It is wrong if you listen. It's just as wrong. It breeds disunity. It tears down a man's ministry. So don't allow others to fill your, your head with that stuff. It is just satanic stuff, and you need to recognize it for what it is. There's a second application here. I see that uh, from the Corinthians uh, situation, we can learn that, that, you know what? It's reality to know that all Christians are going to be accused of things somewhere along the line. You're going to be misjudged. You're going to be misunderstood. It just goes with the territory. So don't think in spite of all that we might say about, well, don't do this to others, that somebody's going to do it to you. They're going to criticize you, and, and they're going to try to discredit you. Why? Usually this comes from unbelievers. They'll find some flaw with you, something they do this because if they can discredit you, they can discredit, in their minds at least, the Lord whom you serve. And this sort of justifies why they don't become a Christian. Well, I'm not going to be like that person. Look at him. He's a hypocrite. I'm not going to be like that. Well, I'm not. Look how unloving, unthoughtful, how dare he say this or she say this to me. And they claim to be a Christian. Well, I wouldn't be like that. That just that's how it happens. And usually they they attack some picayune nothing thing in your life, like like with Paul. I mean, who cares about a change of, of itinerary? We do that all the time. I make a schedule every day, and if I've ever kept my schedule completely in all the years that I've been doing this, it'd be amazing. No one keeps it exactly that way. That's okay. It's wrong to not keep your word, but but Paul was just saying, these are my plans in general. You can make changes, but they pounced on that. And people are going to pounce on things in your life. Just expect criticism. Understand the source of it is Satan. Understand what's happening here. It just goes with the territory. And there's a sense in which you can't win. You should know that. If you fail in an area, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll accuse you of being a hypocrite. And if they can't find a character flaw in your life, they'll accuse you of being a fanatic. Either way, you're not coming out looking good. No matter what you do, if you really live a godly life, well, you're a fanatic. If, um, and they're not using that as a compliment. And if you don't, then you're a hypocrite. So, so just obey God and do what's right and let the criticisms come, but understand where they're coming from. Those criticisms are actually an honor. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. No matter what we do, we will all face criticism, so it's better to be criticized for obeying God than for not obeying Him. 
This is Peter Silseth, and I would like to thank you for listening today to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve calls Lakeside Community Chapel home, and Verse by Verse Ministries makes his messages available to this radio station. If these Bible classes of the air are a blessing to you, why not give this station a call and tell them about it? I know they would be encouraged. If you missed the start of class, you can listen online to this broadcast at our website, versebyverseradio.org, or you can download it and listen later. While you're at the website, feel free to browse around, read about Pastor Steve and Verse by Verse Ministries, sign up for our free podcasting service, or subscribe to our complimentary newsletter. That address again is versebyverseradio.org. Today's class was the middle portion of a three-part message. If you would like to hear the entire message at once, you can order a CD or a cassette by calling us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again, 727-441-1714. And before we say so long for now, let me remind you that Verse by Verse is a faith ministry supported by listeners like you who have first been faithful to their own church. Join us for our next Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve concludes this message, the second of three messages about integrity. Until then, may the Lord help each of us to live in such a way that no one who knows us would ever have cause to doubt our integrity. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.